Welcome to the theater. For everyone's enjoyment, we'd like to remind you of the following rules. No talking. No smoking. No littering. No red meat. No freedom of religion. And remember, all marriages must be approved by the Department of Health. Failure to obey these rules will result in immediate loss of citizenship and deportation to the island of Los Angeles. Enjoy the show. Your rules are really beginning to annoy me. from out heaven everyone this is bonus episode two and you won't be surprised that we're here today discussing escape from la the not so great sequel and follow-up to escape from new york which we did our first bonus episode on i'm joined here by everyone who joins the podcast every week we've got caleb kyle and we've got ryan does everyone want to say hello yeah what's How up hey so yeah escape from la snake Pliskin is once again called into the united states government to recover a potential doomsday device from Los Angeles, now an autonomous island where undesirables are deported. Los Angeles Island is declared no longer part of the United States and becomes the deportation point for all people found undesirable or unfit to live in the new moral America. The United States police force, like an army, is encamped along the shoreline, making any escape from LA impossible. From the southeastern hills of Orange County to the northwestern shore of Malibu, the Great Wall excludes L.A. from the mainland. The president's first act as permanent commander-in-chief is Directive 17. Once an American loses his or her citizenship, they are deported to this island of the damned, and they never come back. I must say, on reflection, it has a very similar synopsis to the very first movie. Yeah, 100%. <laughs> I think I'll just put it in my notes about... 10 lines down, um, it's just the same film. The sequel, 16 years later, which is the same film. It's just A boatload of exposition at the start to make LA an island, which is my favourite part. It was yeah. like, it's 1998 and there's this earthquake and a tsunami and LA is now an island. <laughs> like Manhattan Island, but not like Manhattan Island because they're trying to make it seem different, but it's exactly the goddamn same. All that dodgy yeah. stock footage that we're using of people running around and buildings breaking. <laughs> oh, oh the CGI. CGI, that, that, that CGI. stand out. <laughs> You know, but it was so dumb. Impressive next to CGI. (laughs) (laughs) That and Stoner Dude for me were the standouts. Like when he come when he first lands in LA, and it's like, "Hey, Snake, how you doing, bro? Bitching man." (laughs) Like it's gonna be no secret that by the end of this film, like when when this is happening, and it's it's the exposition. The first film was very like Manhattan's an island. It's a prison. In Snake go. And this one, it's very like, oh, as you just said, so much exposition and so much building up. And then it's a big scene where, uh, as, as I went cabs, everything just blows the fuck up. Like, everything's just collapsing and explains, like, did they need to do all this? Because they just go, oh, yeah, allies in Ireland where they're sending desirables, much like New York. But no, that's a really double down on, like, oh, this is a bigger budget film now. The first one was subtle, but this one, eh? Hey, it's got funny, though, earn, because though. I think it's quite relevant for the current day. I mean, look at all the politics you've got now surrounding, like, you know, abortion rights in America and stuff like that, you know? It's almost like the separation of church and state isn't generally a thing, you know? They do say it's a thing, but 
if you look at most of the laws in the States, they are kind of governed by the Bible almost. That's kind of what I thought this film was kind of touching on, you know, because, like, what was it? Like, the, the United States Police Force, really original name, I bet they were up all night thinking about that. <laughs> um, it's just like there's religious evangelism. Full-blown totalitarian autocracy, isn't it? You know, it's like... Well, one but, part of the, the exposition at the start that's interesting is the, the bit about constitutional amendments where they remove the kind of term, time and term limit for a president. So, you know, one man gets power and just holds that power, you know, for eternity, essentially. But they've also created moral crimes and the government gets to decide who's undesirable. It almost sounds like Pretty Patel wrote the movie. Um, <laughs> It's a terrible notion, um, but that list includes prostitutes and atheists. I find it funny that they were chucked in together as if they were somehow really similar. But yeah, it's just it's a terrifying notion. To be fair, that I can't remember what character it was, but they someone actually references like the final solution, and I think it's when they're like planning on maybe nuking LA. So all of I those might kind have of written that somewhere partway down in my notes. Yeah, and that kind of yeah. like discussion of like religious segregation or like you say prostitutes and atheists, Ryan. I, I actually remember like I think it's just after Snake Plissken escapes from the uh, Bruce Campbell, you know, as the plastic surgeon. Surgeon general. And he's with that woman. She actually says that she was she was deported to LA for being a Muslim, which I just found wow. That that's like mm. again. I mean, in 1996, obviously there was a very I main post 9/11. Of course, you had a huge like sort of like Arab sort of scare in America, especially. Like, oh no! In 1996. I think you're about five years too early. Yeah, I know. I'm saying the film is in 1996. Oh, right. But then come 9-11, it was like, oh. So that would have been like, oh, okay, no. But after 9-11, especially in America, it was like, oh, God, no. You know, I'm really scared about it. It would have been around the time of the World Trends had a bombing, to be fair, that Bin Laden was also showed. Yeah, 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 true, true. I think think Ryan hit the nail on the head for me. But it's that kind of, all of these different concepts that, like, definitely are interesting, but they're not obviously, like, built out enough for it to be anything meaningful. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Like, I mean, I mean, it starts. Snake turns up, and I think I remember Ryan mentioned last podcast on the film. Like, it was in the first one where Snake's going downstairs, and it says like, "Oh, if you want to be executed, please inform your general guy." And it's sort of a bit of like world building. But in this one, it has the same thing, but you actually just see it, and all those these people is getting shocked on the chairs, and it makes the entire concept just really dumb because it's like it's gone from like a subtle world building thing, like, "Hey, look, people are getting just shocked on sight." It just takes away like a lot of the salty the film has that the first one did have. And it goes and back then... into that point of it being a theocracy, though, doesn't it? Because like they do actually say, like you know, that particular scene that you're referencing, they're like, "Oh, if you want to confess your sins, you can be electrocuted oh, yeah, on the spot." Do you know what I mean? It's a bit. It's when the film film really to me it was just like, "Oh, the president turns up. The president's daughter is being kidnapped and lands in the island, and you've got to go in." And of course, it's like, "Why would I do that?" And it's like. Snake, we know why. We know exactly why. Because they're going to inject you or have injected you with something already. And, oh, look at that. That's exactly what happens. And then, like, he tries to attack the president. Oh, it's a hologram. I think I put my notes that they really wanted to kick in that, yep, CGI, man. We've got graphics for this film. <laughs> I think it was uh, Commander Malloy, Stacey Keach's character. Towards the end of the film, he kind of reinforces all of that stuff, doesn't he? Because I don't always talk to Snake after the mission's done. And he just kind of lists off all the stuff that you're not allowed to do. And it's like, no yeah, smoking, no that. drinking, no drugs, no women. You gotta smoke. The United States is the no-smoking nation. No smoking, no drinking, no drugs, no women. Unless, of course, you're married. No guns, no foul language, no red meat. Land of the free. It's just like... No fun allowed. Yeah, literally, and then, like, you know, it's just... just kind of bleeds into, like, the, the way kind of Snake's character is kind of portrayed in this film. He was gruff and kind of grisly in the first one, but he, it's like they've times it up by ten this time around. Just his response is just like, 
land of the free. It's he's like... got he's just he's just gimmicks galore in this movie. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, Go the on. premise of the movie immediately falls apart for me though because. Manhattan was a prison island where prisoners who were, you know, probably murderers, rapists, actual kind of hardline criminals were sent. Whereas LA just sounds like it'd be a cool place to party. And because Pliskin's so anti-establishment, I'm like, why does Pliskin want to leave? Like, so hang on, you've got all of the the drugs, the party and the music, the crime, the prostitutes, all of this cool stuff. To me, that would be like some kind of bohemian heaven as opposed to a place I don't want to be. It's 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 true libertarian society. It's like, you know, it's, it's where... Like Fallout, I don't know. Like you know, this is the land. This, I mean, even that chick are like part of the movie says it is like land of the free. Like it is the true land of the free. Ironic as well that the name of the president's daughter is Utopia. Oh god, yeah, it's so like oh, look at that. We man, we did a special special wordplay on that. We got you. It's yeah, even like, down the- to like. Like the Quervo Jones, you know, George Coraface's character. He's basically of... just Shea Guevara, let's be real. Oh, yeah. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like, everything down to the beret, to the hair, to like... I think that was kind of the point that... Where Ryan was saying, like, you know, Pliskin would be in heaven there. I don't think he would, because I think he even references that towards the end of the film. He kind of says, like, you know, it's just one asshole doing the same thing on the other side of the island, do you know what I mean, compared to what they're doing here. Which kind of reinforces the ending of the film as well, in a way, you know? What's it to be, Pliskin? Us or them? Shut down the third world, they lose, you win. Shut down America, you lose, they win. The more things change, the more they stay the same. So what are you going to do? Disappear. Do you reckon he's got his own autonomous military base called Out of Heaven? Did you imagine? Uh, I did think that when Michael was saying that. Like yeah, yeah, like I know, like just, it's sort of weird to talk about this film, and the more it's pretty sort of Escape from New York. So obviously everything's quite the Escape from New York is very just self set, not self set. Just everything happens on the island, and everything just sort of goes mm. as is, and everything leads nice to the. This one's a mess. Like I got my notes all here, but it's just constant things are happening. Like you know, he gets to the island in his horrible CGI sub, and then he runs off, and then so bad he, he gets captured, and then he shoots people, then he gets captured again, and then it's just. A bunch of stuff happening, and that's what I think it's more difficult to talk about this film so concisely yeah. because you know you could easily say sort of escape from New York and you have a decent idea, but this film just it's just things just happening and with no real order. There's one key difference between Solid Snake and Snake Pliskin. Solid Snake doesn't get caught all the time. I yeah. noticed that as well. But um, <laughs> Snake is captured, then Snake is captured part two. Just be like, and it's like seven lines down as well. It, it, just, needs, a, uh... it needs a cardboard box like Solid Snake, and it that it can run around in that entire bit where he goes to the um, classic surgery land. It was just the film changed. It became like a mild horror film, and it's like, oh yeah, you know, they're cutting people up and they're he's rearranging people, and he's like, you know, a Frankenstein sort of guy. And it was just, what is the point? I even put at the bottom, what is the point in the scene? Because it just it just didn't fit. Being that was kind of one of my favourite scenes in the film because I think it was kind of a caricature almost, like a bit of satirical vision of what LA is like. You know what I mean? With like all these like models having so much plastic surgery to preserve their youth and stuff like that. I think what Carpenter was trying to do with that scene was just kind of make a statement about that sort of life. Do you know what I mean? Like, you know, they've had that much plastic surgery. They constantly need new stuff to be put on them, otherwise they're going to die or something. Yeah, I mean, I completely agree. The commentary about LA being superficial got really heavy-handed. It was super camp. It was like Capcom levels of camp at times. <laughs> um, but but I did think it was pretty cool. But my favourite part about this scene, and I don't know why my eyes picked this out, but as it kind of has like a panning shot from above as snakes let in, there's a nurse, an extra, 
um, on a, like, lying next to a gurney, and there's just like a man's forearm that's no longer attached to the rest of his arm, and she's just kind of picking it up and moving it back and forth, and it looks like she's just fiddling with the prop. And I think I rewound the movie about four times just to watch her do this because it just distracted me entirely. You know I put I mean? in um, caps in um, on my third note saying, I put, she's mashing it. And it's such a mild reference, but when Pliskin goes, you give me my guns, and there's that sort of weird-looking guy who pulls a weird face and runs off and gets his guns. I, I pause and I was like, I know this guy. He was in an episode of Always Sunny. He's in a couple, actually. He's Charlie's landlord. I checked him out on IMDb. Apparently, this scene in Escape from LA is the most famous thing he's ever done. Um, I'd argue always sunny about a bit more because four episodes, but I just thought it was a mild reference. But yeah, Snake escapes again, and again, just, it's just Captain escaping, and then he meets that girl. <laughs> I even put here, if they create a sex scene just because, never mind, she got shot. It was just forced romance for the sake of it. For me, like at times it had a kind of Mad Max type feel coupled with a GTA style feel <laughs> where he's just like running around like stealing cars, jumping on cars, <laughs> surfing tsunamis to get into a car. <laughs> Gliding from above. <laughs> that surfing scene is so fucking bad. It's just, it's so bad. It's good. Look, it fits in that film perfectly. But it's just everything down to the surfer dude. And I think even you mentioned this guy the other day. You know the bit when he just kind of like just like high five. Yeah, to go, man. Later, bro. Yeah, high five. Okay, let the front edge pick you up. Don't get on your board to the right to the top. Don't blow it. If you fall off the board, it's the big one. Got it? Bitch. Hey, oh, snake. Rob before like, he jumps on Steve Buscemi's car, it's just like, you know. When the film really just went to fuck for me was when, like, he gets captured and then they find the little thingy and then Uncle Shug or whatever. Um, he has, like, the power for the, like, satellites for, like, you know, the GoldenEye satellite as it was. And it was like, okay, this film's turned to, like, an action film into, like, a world, like, thriller action film. And, like, I just put in, again, Caps, this film is so inconsistent with what it wants to be. Also, Pliskin is in the background on a treadmill. Like, they give him, like, a world speech about how he's going to take over the world and whatever. And the snakes in the background on a treadmill was hilarious. I think one of the points about this film is like, and I think we're all agreed on it, it's just so... It's it's a two-pronged approach. It's, it's like they had a load of ideas and chopped them all and threw them all in, irrespective of whether it followed or not. But then also tried to follow the story beats of the first film a bit too much. Even yeah. down to the characters, like, I don't know about you, but Steve Buscemi's character kind of reminded me of Ernst Borgnine's character, you know, Cabby from the first film. Cabby, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah I mean, just... arguably he is. He does the same thing, doesn't he? he well, yeah, exactly. You know, like, you know, the tapes and Map of the Stars or whatever it is that he was trying to sell him for $50,000. I'll be honest, I was checking out of the movie until Steve Buscemi showed up. And then I was like, oh, you've got me back in film. Because I, I love Steve Buscemi. He's so entertaining. Yeah, he kept me in the movie, to be honest. if I don't think if he'd been in it, I would have carried on watching it. We'd have dipped out of this episode half a through and I couldn't finish it. Because I, was I, mean, to be honest, I, like, I don't think people realise the kind of range of acting he actually kind of has in his repertoire because he is a really classically trained actor. The best example that I've ever seen him in was uh, Boardwalk Empire. Me and the other half sat through the entirety of that recently. He was as good as James Gandolfini in The Sopranos. But prior to that, I'd only ever seen him in like bit roles and cameo roles, like, you know, the mad guy in Armageddon or that, that, that old that. guy with the kids. Do you know what I mean? Hey, what's up, kids? You know what I mean? <laughs> that was going to be my like 
that my movie for him was like, I just remember him being an utter like like, like lunatic like, in like the moon yeah. <laughs> on the moon like I'm gonna kill you asteroid like he's shooting it with a gun like and then he's like tied up and like taped up. You know what I mean? Yeah. Just as um, how am I, how am I only halfway through this movie? Um, around mm-hmm. the time of the stadium, he gets captured again, and then he has to do the basketball thing. I mean, what I noticed before that is that the guy fails it, and they all shoot inwards at the guy. And it's like that's really dangerous, man. Like if they're shooting inwards, they could hit each other on the other side. And also, um, wasn't he, wasn't he shot like in the leg, like a few hours in in the movie, like time? Wasn't that after? Before? I was can't. After? Again, I think that's right after the scene you're on about. Yeah. He he like he, he's done the basketball back and forth. Got to do six shots, and then like he just. He just yeets it across the full court like his, you know, fucking pro NBA, and it's just like what? what? In those in those in those tight leather pants as well. Yeah. <laughs> this is what did they make him play basketball? I think this is it. I noticed as well watching this, and I think I watched all the reviews about it. And so made a point in the first film, Snake is very vulnerable. He's not a superhero. You know, he gets <laughs> captured several times, and every time he gets quite lucky. Or he just manages, you know, he's the underdog. In this one, he can surf, he's pro-NBA, he can shoot people all at once, he can pilot a nuclear submarine, he's on a hang glider later on. He's good at everything. It's just ridiculous. He's like Ray from Star Wars, and he does it all the abilities from the start. And granted, he's like, you know, a tough grog guy, but he just is brilliant at everything. It just, it must it just... have like an unshakable, like, Western vibe, though. I don't know if it's just the the kind of acoustic soundtrack too that plays a bit throughout it. You know the bit that plays. It's got that. Like, it's got you that. know what I mean? Like it's got that. Especially, especially <laughs> like the scoped revolvers again. You know when he gets his guns back and he's surrounded. You know what I mean? yeah. We're gonna do a draw. When Bangkok the drops the grounds, Bangkok rules. So why are they not to shoot him? I mean, it's a movie. You're being picky, but at the same time, it's like <laughs> it's not real life. Ryan said before plot armor. Yeah, yeah, what's I that? Mean... Was that the bit in Austin Powers where he's like, no, put him in the slow lying platform with the sharks and like, Dad, just shoot him now. Why would I do that? <laughs> I mean, I would, I would have liked it if, you know, when they're doing Bangkok rules and, like, the four guys back away, I would have, like, wanted to take a shot at Pliskin and miss. And then his three friends were like, bro, like, that's not what we agreed. And they shoot their friend <laughs> and then he shoots the rest of them because it's the idea that I would just stand there and go, sure, really famous, badass man that we all seem to know yeah. exists and know who he is. I'm going to agree to fight you on your terms. No, thanks. I'm probably just going to shoot, like, what I was find dumb is he's a badass and he's on a motorbike and he's chasing everyone down from cars. He's inviting me to start a movie, but again, it's so disjointed you could reinterpret the scene anywhere. And he gets taken down by Shake of Our Thrones and bowlers at him. And he's just like a, a weight <laughs> oh, yeah. takes him out. And I'm just like, how rustic of a like... society we are. You know, it's like they, they make him out to be this absolute badass as well, like before he goes in. Oh, yeah, Snake, you, you've done this, you've done that. You're the perfect guy to do an espionage mission. Within five minutes, captured. Well, like, yeah. the and then again. It, he manages to bait two guys who are flanking him on motorcycles, and he la- at the last minute accelerates and they shoot each other. And well, like, he's oh, doing okay. a wheelie, so they can't yeah. shoot him if he's doing a wheelie. And then, and then the next second, he's just stood on a rooftop, and some rope gets thrown at him, and he falls down. And I was just like, "Oh, did that, was that not in Snake Plissken military school?" Like, for, um, the fucking surfer, far out, dude. But yeah, like, he escapes on the stage. I mean, does that surfing scene, and it's like, why, why, why is this? There? And it's yeah. like he jumps onto the car. Even between his character, he goes like, "You gotta be kidding me!" I was like, "Yeah, man, me too, man, me too." <laughs> <laughs> 
But it's That's the smaller the, details as well, though, isn't it? I mean, like, the president's daughter, Utopia. It, it's kind of mimicking modern society in a way, you know, how, like, there's always, like, these commentaries about how we're all, like, slaves to our phones and technology. And I think when she eventually gets away, she uses the Doomsday device, I think, what's it called? The Sword of Damocles? Yeah. She uses it to create, like, a VR environment or something that she lives in most of the time or something. Yeah, that they, they kind they of make reference to that at the start of the film, don't they? One thing I think as well is, in the first one, in New York, there's no guns. No one's allowed guns. And the only gun that they have in New York is the gun that Nate Pliskin brought in. Yeah, everyone, yeah, yeah. everyone in fucking Ally Island has got fucking is packing, man. Everyone's yeah, got I guns, mean, and and it, and it suffers from the same thing that the first one suffered from. I mean, that's just Ally, apparently. Yeah. Cheat codes, man. The the unlimited the unlimited <laughs> ammo cheat codes, like. Like there's the scene earlier on, like right at the start when he's going in the sub and he says to the two guys, "Oh, like is that everything?" And go, "That's everything, Snake." And then he tries to shoot them, and it's like, "Ha! We thought you'd do that, so we fill it with blanks." And like, why? Like, what if he actually was like the first time he shoots her on the film is when that guy's gonna throw a knife at him. So if he had blanks in that gun, he would have died because he would have shot blanks in with a knife thrown at him. But yeah, it was just just about an hour and a half to be fair, Caleb. (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) uh... a bad thing. Or his like, or his get out a free, free jail card from the plastic surgeons is that little dart arrow that he's just had in his oh, mouth yeah. the whole time. And then he falls on the rope to free him. Like, yeah, man, that would happen. Oh, there's so much about this film. I mean, I got this kind of hit as I just like, hey, the Queen Mary. I like that. That was nice to see the Queen Mary. I like big old ships. You know, that's probably what the Queen Mary's going to look like because it's literally falling apart right now. But that was fun. And then he goes in and meets... But suddenly this guy is his friend. As you said earlier, one, it's interesting like a trans character in it, especially for 1996. Yeah, I, I, genu- yeah. I genuinely like that. Is one of the things that I actually liked about the film was just how diverse the cast. <laughs> it was, was very representational, yeah. To be fair, I, yeah. I, I thought for, for its time as well. You think 1996? You know, it's a it's not it's not it's not 2022, is it? You know, yeah. the rights and the rights and the movements that have happened in the last 20 years. It's very standout for me, I guess. Yeah. In that, in that, you era. could argue that it might have been put in just for the sake of like, oh, this is like a strange character, more of their like, hey, I'm on token reason, the but cat- still yeah. it's interesting yeah absolutely and and obviously it's a fucking movie made in the 90s where like the main characters look a oh the hero oh, man. Every, like you know as i said before Nick. like mexicans like the, the the main antagonist looks like like a mexican revolutionary like that's kind of the vibe i'll get I, <laughs> yeah he just goes back to like the racism yeah oh, and then mind. it's like oh all the the stoic white uh hench guy with long hair is the hero I mean, they did, to be honest, they did do the character well, to be fair, because they, they actually did make her look like a non-binary character, but it is actually played by a woman, Pam Greer, you know, which, actually, which surprised um, me at first, to be fair, but, you know, it just shows credit to her acting ability, you know. Like, relevant, I thought, I've been putting notes earlier on, and you could argue this, it's sort of relevant in a way, but not, like, um, a lot of the, ca- I mean, you could argue this is just classic dystopian worlds. Um, like, every fourth girl is, like, dressed in, like, very sort of, like, revealing sort of, like, clothes in a way. But that would be as it was if in a society like that. I mean, never saw an escape from New York, but, yeah, absolutely in this. I think, uh, in a way, it was kind of a direct correlation to kind of, like, you had the moral and good America where only hard-working, good, devout Christians absolutely. were allowed to live and work. Whereas LA of... was kind of, like, the seedy underbelly, weren't it? You know, with, yeah, of, like, rebellion place. and stuff. There was there was a layer of misogyny like in there as well, wasn't there? Like, oh, of especially, course. Especially with that that one that one like red shirt female who was with Snake Plissken when he was like about to get his eye cut out. Like she was in the she was in the movie for what like 10, 15 minutes. Maybe? Oh yeah. And, and yeah. within that, she's like propositioned three times, and Snake's like, Yeah. No, I got a mission. 
and then she then she dies. Like, Almost like a it. certain character from a certain video game we all like. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like I mean, then we got the gl- and then it's like, oh yeah, we can't get there. See, I thought they were going like um, they were going to went to Disneyland to the end. They didn't mention it was Disneyland because legally they wouldn't be allowed to. I'm guessing. Like Happy <laughs> but, World, um, they called it or something. Happy, yeah, <laughs> Happy World. World. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's what one thing I like is oh, is this what I think it is? And then Bashimi's character goes, oh, the thing in Paris killed him. Um, which is actually a reference to the fact that Disneyland Paris was an absolute financial catastrophe on launch. Founded like three months to make a profit. They managed to open uh, Space Mountain and they actually saved the park and in turn saved the other parks. But yeah, they go to Port and But then they glide there and then they're all shooting and just... It's so dumb. Well, I think... Well, the one thing I thought as well, though, was like the date in which the movie's set. Like, not the movie, not the time it was made. I think it's set in 2013. Oh, yeah, yeah. Just, I mean, it's one uh, of the things I do like about going back and watching old sci-fi films is looking at what they thought technology was going to be like. And at the start, when they were like the VR prison cell, I'm like, wow, we, like VR was not came, a, you know, came along as well as John Carpenter thought it was going to. Cause... Yeah, definitely not. <laughs> you know? yeah. We didn't get hoverboards yeah. in 2015 either. You know? that the the earthquake was in 2000, uh, film set in 2013. Very, it has, it has got some predictions, right, I guess. Maybe up to the same degree, but like, all the emphasis on like climate change. And and the planet that that's very very relevant. Well, it's always been relevant, I guess. But like mainstream, it's been much more like at the forefront of you know government intervention and net zero yeah. carbon companies and and sustainability. It's much more like on the agenda now than it ever has been. So it's quite interesting that you, you know fast forward what twenty years, however long it's been since the movie came out. It's it's interesting. Yeah, it's also, like you said um, crazy Republican pastor American religious people who are like you know oh yeah. Biden is Satan you know, it's similar like that. Almost yeah. like a theocracy, yeah, that's what I was going to say, like, in a way, because it is kind of, it was obviously big in the 90s, and, like, you know, arguably people are less religious these days, but, like you're saying, it is still, I mean, look at Kenneth Copeland and kind of people like oh, that, God. do you know what I mean? Like, lunatic preachers online, you know, asking God, for money, and if they get enough money, they can kill COVID and shit like that, you know? Yeah. Crazy. Yeah. But that kind of stuff is on the rise. You look oh, at this, yeah. um, what's what's this abortion bill they're trying to, like, look into now, Roe versus well, Wade? Is, Roe versus Wade, yeah. Yeah, yeah, like, but that, that's kind of, again, Religious fundamentalism, kind of like you know, taking the Trump over bodily well, autonomy, well, that, well, that, well, which is the, wrong well, on every level. Well, that's the well, that's the the difficulty with America, isn't it? You've got you know, you've got federal law, but often nine times out of ten, state law supersedes federal law. So hmm? you're going to have nuances, like you say, like not a lot of people in the world are religious now, but actually, it depends where you go. You know, a lot of federal countries are, very, are still very are still very religious. You know, you've got states of america like america like even the uk technically if we're being technical is church of england it's a religious country it's a religious state in and, in and of itself fundamentally uh, i think that's what needs to change on a you know structural level for society i think the I separation think of church and state is very much a thing that needs to happen well it's the, we can the, move Ireland. Ireland. Yeah. yeah i was gonna say like, like ryan said this this place sounds like the fucking place i want to live you know what i mean <laughs> It's a constant argument, really, isn't it? You know what I mean? It's like, would you rather go to heaven and listen to boys to men all the time or get out to hell and surf on a lake of lava listening to Led Zeppelin? I know which one I'd rather choose. I mean, it's in the film. Like, they land, they get that weird tape thing back to save the day. And then they land the chopper, and then they run away, and then the chopper crashes again. It just becomes this big, like, aha, I fooled you. No, you fooled me. Oh, I gave you the wrong thing. No, you gave me the wrong thing. It's all that sort of stuff. Yeah, literally and, the um, same story beats as the first film, isn't yeah. it? You know what I mean? I just thought, what the fuck is this ending? Door to murder, present to world, destroy stuff. It's just so wild and over the top. And I'm not yeah, going to lie. Man. I did kind of like the ending. I, I thought it was a better part of the movie. Uh, yeah. The rest of it's crap. 
<laughs> I mean, I liked that it ended in a sense that he reset the world's technology, which means yeah. you can't have a third film. So <laughs> it was kind of like, thanks, thanks, Biscuit. You saved me from having to watch yeah. this again. What's and that thing just... it says at the end? Uh, Welcome to the human race. Is that it? Yeah, right at the that... end. Yeah. Yeah. Just... Oh, no. It's, it sounds sort of cool, but at the same time, no. <laughs> It's one of those things that sounded like it was cool when they wrote it at like 2 a.m. while drinking coffee and high cocaine. <laughs> that sounds so cool. And then they shot it and went, yeah, it didn't work, but it's in the can now, so, so it'll do. What, what, what it was it other stuff as well. It was like the world shutdown code was 666. Do you know what I mean? It's, just, <laughs> it's, it's all symbolism towards like this whole, you know, See, separation of the church and, you know. Oh, that's just... after nerding me because the number of the beast isn't 666. It was mistranslated back in the day and it's actually 616. And I was like, <laughs> like you know, people like, you know, that meme of like, actually, guys. That's me all the time when everyone says that. I'm like, I don't know. <laughs> it, it was this. You know what I mean? Um, Rowan the mansplainer. Yeah. <laughs> this may upset Kyle a little bit because he's quite a John Carpenter fan, but this movie made me realise that John Carpenter cannot direct action at it's all. Not gonna, that's not going to upset me at all. I've largely pointed, like, you know, after even some of his earlier films, like, this is probably going to get me a lot of hate from the horror community, but Halloween is a fucking terrible film oh see I disagree. I, I disagree with that i think the original halloween is scary it's creepy but it's nowhere near the level of hype it deserves man like the best thing about that film is the soundtrack and i, I mean, think I... that's a big thing with john carpenter like he has amazing soundtracks to a lot of his films but some of his films are so mi- like other than i think escape from new york is probably one of his most standout films but if we're talking like you know if you look at the sp- the breadth of his career as a director. He has had some very hit or miss films. Like Big Trouble in Little China is one of my all-time favourite films. But if you look at the reviews for it and the kind of user opinion of it, it's a very mixed bag. Not everyone likes it, you know, and I think that is the same for a lot of his films. Well, I think the reason it bugs me so much in Escape from LA is that there's lots of static action shots where it's just the camera is just in front of what's going on. And people are stood around wildly firing around the camera, not even at anything. Mm-hmm. And it's still full of cuts. He still cuts about 15 times per, like, two seconds. And it's like, what? why does this look so terrible and dull? And how have you managed to make a giant gunfight in Disneyland boring? But somehow he did. <laughs> One thing I was thinking, like, when this film... Because obviously the first thing came out in 1981, and this came out in 1996, and we said in the last one that this came out before all sort of the big action films of the 80s came out. So I was like, okay, this film is just going to... You know, you had, uh, what, Terminator, Robocop, Die Hard, uh, Predator. Um, did Predator? Yeah, come in the 80s, didn't it? Um, you know, all these very heavy action macho films before it was. And this film came out, I'll that sort of over. By the mid-90s, those sort of films had died out. And you had, like, for lack of a better term, smart action films. So when the Mission Impossible came out, was that, like, 95, 96, 97? Mm-hmm. I don't know. Yeah, and sort of films went away from a macho hero to more like computer hacking and things like that. So I was like, yeah, this film's going to be sort of embody macho man. And it, it just doesn't. It's just a big melting pot. I've said it several times so far. It's just a big melting pot of just random films and just oh, random yeah. genres thrown in there. One yeah. Thing I, yeah, like is we mentioned the CGI several times and obviously the CGI is absolute crap. And hilarious at times. Like re- the submarine when it's flying through the water, it's terrible. And I was like, okay, maybe, you know, they didn't much of a budget because, you know, the film was yeah. $50 million, which is pretty chunky. Uh, box office bomb, 25 million at the box office. And I was like, okay, Jurassic Park holds up really well. I think holds up exceptionally well. And a double check, came out in 1993, that had a budget of $63 million. Like, right, so Jurassic Park was these three years prior and did a better job. Granted, with a slightly bigger budget, but 
why did you do this? Like, did none of you look at this and go, this is crap? But I guess if they've already done it and they've already paid for it, then they're going to use it, aren't they? Well, yeah, that was it. I mean, John Carpenter was always kind of like just above a B-movie director in a way, do you know what I mean? But he, he did write this film with Kurt Russell and Deborah Hill. You know, so that like it's oh, the right. same guys he's constantly working with. You know, Kurt Russell's Kurt Russell's got a budding a budding romance with uh with John Carpenter, hasn't he? Oh, totally, remind, mate. You know, kind of <laughs> reminds me of like Adam Sandler and his same crew of people that he always makes movies with. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's like one of my all time favorite horror films is The Thing, and I will I will argue tooth and nail, tooth and bloody nail to the end of the world that it is one of the the best horror films ever made. But again, in, uh... if you look at that, that's again a mixed bag. Not everyone likes it, you know. Do you think, do you think John Carpenter like has this like perception of his movies being his own like universe, like the MCU, like the Carpenterverse or something? <laughs> he where did. All these, where all these movies are like subtly linked to each other, <laughs> like the Quentin Tarantino's films, sort of thing. Um, yeah. He did have three films which he deemed his apocalypse trilogy that were all kind of meant to be. I don't know if they were all meant to be linked in the same universe, but he's kind of touched on it a bit, I suppose. But yeah, I think he's one of those directors that it's kind of like Marmite, isn't it? You're either going to love his films or you're going to fucking hate him. I think the last film he did was, I think it was a film about a lunatic asylum. I forget what it was called, but it was, I think at that point he had really run out of steam. He's kind of had a bit of a renaissance in music, to be honest. He kind of makes more headlines these days, kind of touring with a lot of the synthwave bands or riding the synthwave hype. Yeah, kind of genre that me and, me and uh, Caleb are into, but like, he does tour quite a bit, playing the scores from his films. Uh, yeah, it? I've heard that, that he's a, an avid tourer, as opposed to movies. Uh, this, this film overall was just hilarious to me, though. Like, I think it's a bad film, but uh, yeah. it was very entertaining. Uh, I like, at the end of my notes, several things that have seen um, Cats, because I was like just so amazed that this was an actual thing they did in the film. It's, it's one of those situations as well where you wait a long time for a sequel and the sequel's either going to just suck because you really missed the point of the first film that's been so long and times have changed and you want to do something relevant. Again, 1981 to 1996 is a huge difference. But also just like, yeah, maybe just in a situation, don't do a sequel. The first one that's own was fine. And I know they did sort of link up in a way that all oh, Snake, whatever, did more crime. <laughs> he loves crime um, after the first film. But yeah, it just, it didn't need to be done. Yeah, if what they... was it? Arrested for gunfighting for profit in New Vegas, Thailand, US territory. Just like little nuances like that in the film that kind yeah. of make, you know, an extended universe would be quite cool. <laughs> Comic book form, maybe. I did think like this would be like as a as a game, you know, if they're like a like um escape from LA. We're not even escape from like a game set within a place like Manhattan. The island of LA, I don't know what you call it. You know, that would be pretty interesting. Um, you know, it'd be very sort of Fallout esque. Mad Max I said earlier. Yeah, but, yeah. Yeah, like I mean that seems from everything I've checked. It seems another sequel or whatever is sort of gone. I mean, they. I mean, how was Kurt Russell now? Like in his sixties, seventies? Well, this is what I was saying on the last episode. I think with the way the film ends, I do think they could squeeze out one more sequel. Yeah, I'd love to see it purely because I'm such I... a fan of the franchise. As bad as it is, and I know we are looking at it through rose tinted glasses. I think if they brought back Snake, for like you know, you could argue it was like thirty years later after he kind of ended, you know, all of the world's power supply, and it's, it's kind of there. come back to like medieval sort of shit. You can make it cheesy as fuck, but just I think it'd be brilliant if they did it. Just to satisfy the B-movie nerd in me, you know what I mean? Snake Plissken coming out of like a caveman with a club. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like he's, like he's like the king of like the doomed world or whatever. I mean, uh, They could even I'm throw some of cheesy is... like aliens into the mix or something. Just make it completely over the top. You know? No, no thanks. No. No. Like, <laughs> Wookie, there was um, a sequel in, like, not the development idea, it was called Escape from Earth. 
Um, if that oh, became God. a thing or whatever, I don't, I don't know. Apparently, it, it, this guy I watched reviewed it made a point saying that like, yeah, Kurt Russell is older now, but you still have people like Arnie and um, you know, sort of other eighties action heroes who are aging now, still doing back in action roles as like you know, older, rugged, tougher, but slightly broken down sort of man. So that he could do it. it. It would just have to be a big change up from what these two films were. Yeah. How would that so, work? so he reset all of Earth's technology, yet somehow. X amount of time on, they've managed to re-enable space travel. And set up a new prison somewhere in America that's an island. <laughs> He's got to escape. You know, so you've got to go to this island. It's gonna be, escape from island the moon. Yeah. Go on then. So, um, yeah, I was going to say, lot of closing comments, what are we all thinking? We'll have a look at IMDb afterwards, but don't. Uh, let's all have a guess. I'd probably say um, about a four out of ten, if I was being, uh, that's I, me I being mean, generous. I just put in my thing at the bar, verdict, total shit. This film is terrible. It is entertaining, but it's absolute crap. It is not consistent. It's just a bunch of stuff happening. This film shouldn't exist, but it's hilarious. It's malice. It shouldn't get anything more than a two, straight up, but uh, it's going to do better Four, than that. two. Brandon, what do you reckon? I'm not going to score it any higher than a two or a four, so I'll price a three, but I think oh, I had a lot of fun with this film, to be honest. Yeah, I enjoyed, <laughs> yeah. enjoyed it. I enjoyed it. It didn't need to be made, if I'm being completely honest. I thought even it's also the first way one... too long. It's like an hour <laughs> 40 minutes long, and it's been, again, anything longer than zero is too long. But as I said, like, 20 minutes ago, it's just, this film keeps going, man. How am I halfway through? Oh, Ryan, it's, it's absolutely funny. Uh, I would give it a one. But then it gets a bonus point for having Steve Buscemi, so that takes it to a two. And yeah. then I've never seen a car chase involving a surfboard and anything else, so it gets a bonus point for that, so I end on a three. And that's me being very generous. Yeah, I was going to say. So let's have a look. I think it is, yeah, 54 out of 100. So 5.4. The way user score, surprisingly, is 6.2. What? <laughs> yeah. So, no like, way. yeah, yeah, based on 24 reviews. It's also the best movie of 1996. It's won an award on Metacritic. And 70 was the most discussed movie of 1996. Jesus I mean, Christ. The best movie of 1996 is Mars Attacks. Yeah, hands down. I've got that on VHS somewhere. Shocking, shocking as well. Rating by demographic. All 74,129 on aggregate gave it 5.7. What do you reckon the, the, the male-female split is like in terms of demographics? 100%. I reckon it's going to be somewhat ridiculous, like 98 in favour of men. 53,847 were males who voted for it, um, and 3,602 were females. Oh, my God. I mean, yeah, yeah, I can believe it. It's just stupid action spectacle as a film, isn't it, really? You know? Did you say it got given best action film of 1996? Like, it didn't win an award. It was just an award, I think, given on Metascore or Metacritic. Okay, because I'm looking at other films that came out in 96, uh, films worth noting, Mars Attacks, Cable Guy, Independence Day, though, which is a far... Far better film. Oh, yeah, it's a brilliant film. But yeah. no, just there's, there's a, a, awards and rankings. 86, best movie of 1996. I think they were saying it was the 86th best movie of 1996. If you feel to buy awards on IMDb, there's one called The Stinker's Bad Movie Awards, nominee, <laughs> worst sequel. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah. Nice, yeah, looking at it, I mean, 96 was a good year for movies. We've got Scream, The Cable Guy, Baz Luhrmann's Roman Juliet, Barb yeah, White. Yeah. Really isn't a great movie, but... Pam Dunnison and Naked back in the day. That was. Yeah, like I was going to say, mate, Jesus Christ. Train spotting. I mean, like the, the Rock, you know, with um, Sean Happy Connery. Gilmore. <laughs> the Bird Cage. Romeo and Juliet with, um, what's his name in? The uh, gangster I actually one. like that film, to be honest. Leonardo DiCaprio, like the modern yeah. day retelling of it. I yeah. thought that film was oh, brilliant. <laughs> what? Space Romeo Jam. and Juliet. 
Yeah, yeah, yeah. Look, the uh, you know the gangsteresque version of it. You know what I mean? Set in New York. What when they've got guns that are called swords? Yeah. <laughs> oh, bore me off, man. So cringe. <laughs> uh, there are better films that escape from that Yeah, just leave it at that. Really. Totally. Yeah. yeah. Right, I think that's a good point to close it on. The schedule, we're kind of back on point now. We're going to have another bonus episodes feature, like kind of episode coming soon, and then back onto the main episode at the end of the month. We are now touting ourselves as a bi-weekly podcast, so the schedule we're looking to work from is you'll be having one of these episodes at the start of the month, and towards the tail end of the month, you'll have our usual philosophical debate about a certain topic in gaming. Other than that, we are on all usual platforms. I think we're on most of the stuff that distributes to Anchor now, like Amazon Music, Apple Music, Google Podcasts, you know, I've probably forgot a few, but yeah. We should be on all of those as well. Social media, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. We are looking at branching into YouTube soon, to be confirmed though. We've got a lot of ideas in the pipeline. Other than that, you can find Ryan on another podcast, uh, Watching Friends. How frequent yep. are you doing that now these days? Every week, isn't it? Every week, yeah. Well, yeah, we'll see you on the next one, guys. Have a good one. Oops, and a bit. See you later, guys. Time to escape from this movie.